Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. That's where we left this morning as Ruth shows her conversion to the religion of Israel from the religion of the Moabites. And it's with these words that we're introduced to the character of Ruth as a godly and virtuous woman, a woman willing to leave all, forsake all, and bear the cross of being a Moabite in the land of Israel for the sake of the God of Israel. Let's bow our heads for a short word of prayer this evening. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. O Lord, thou art the Holy One. Thou art of purer eyes than to behold iniquity. And yet, Lord, we feel in ourselves that we are nothing but iniquity on some occasions. But we thank Thee that Thou hast inspired all Scripture and made it profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And we thank Thee that that all Scripture includes the book of Ruth. And as we were introduced this morning to this woman of the Moabites, grant that this evening we shall see further her godly character and practice here in this world and under great afflictions that gave grounds for her to be termed the virtuous woman, as we shall see. O Lord, as I prayed this morning and as I have prayed before this day, and thou who dost know the thoughts and intents of my heart, Grant that we might see raised up in this congregation some virtuous women. O oh Lord, that our daughters might be as cornerstones, yea, polished cornerstones, as in a palace. O oh Lord, that we might have men who are known for their daughters, as was Job. That we might have some virtuous women to go out from this congregation and either stay here or live in other parts that will provide virtuous wives, virtuous mothers, and a virtuous influence in our society. Have mercy upon us. We know from the testimony of thy word that you seek a holy seed. So we know what we're doing this evening is according to thy will. Bless us now by thy promise that thy re word return not unto thee void and grant that it might bear fruit. And O Lord, especially in the lives of some young women. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. This morning, we covered verses 1 down through 18 of the first chapter of the book of Ruth. I introduced the subject to you by trying to whet your interest in seeing some godly daughters come from our congregation. That ought to be a flame burning in the heart of each one of us, even if we don't have daughters naturally, because you've got daughters spiritually right here in the congregation. Why, I look at poor Margaret Nykirk at this moment, and while she may have suffered to bring two children to this world, she's got five daughters lined up beside her at this very moment. Five daughters that have the potential of being virtuous women. And I'm just picking on Margaret because it looks rather comical. <laughs> But it's, it's a fact that each one of the members of this congregation 
that's an adult has daughters, even if you don't have any after the flesh, Brother Greg and Sister Rachel. We've all got daughters, and there ought to be a flame inside of us, oh, for some roofs to come forth out of our congregation. They're rare. I covered that this morning. They're rarer than rubies and more valuable, and in some respects, more valuable and scarcer than a good man. So let's see if we can't make some, and let's use the book of Ruth to do it. The book of Ruth isn't going to give us a whole lot in the way of doctrine. <laughs> Read the book from, from the beginning to end and see how much doctrine you learn. But can it reprove us? Yes. Can it correct us? Yes. Can it instruct us in righteousness? Yes. So it's a practical book, and we want to use it to that end. Who have we been introduced to so far? We have Elimelech. Who was he? A Bethlehemite, who was also known as an Ephrathite. His wife's name was Naomi. They had two sons named Malan and Chilion. Four. Those four went into the land of Moab. After the Lord got through with that family, how many were there? One, Naomi. But she had received a couple of additions there in the land of Moab, two Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth. So we've been introduced to six characters so far. And on the way back to Israel, when Naomi realizes there's food in Israel, I'm going home, I'm not going to stay in Moab, I'm not going to stay in the world any longer or any more than I have to. On the way back, she uses dissuasion to try to convince the two daughters not to go with her. In fact, she really wants them to go with her. She really wants them to serve the Lord God of Israel. But she's using a common form. And those of you who came up to me this morning after the service and said, you know, I've done that, just didn't know what it was. Sure you have. It's a form of rhetoric. It's a way you try to make a point and you persuade someone to do something. Using dissuasion, trying to tell them you don't really want to do this. And she does it three times. And remember, after the first effort... Oh, there they are. Oh, we want to be baptized. We love the Lord. Surely we will follow thee to thy people, they said in verse 10. They both said it, Orpah, with tears. And how many times have we seen or have I seen people who act interested in being baptized? And they may even shed their crocodile tears. But that doesn't mean anything. So you keep dissuading and see if they flake out or not. So Naomi did. And who knows, one more effort, and Orpah was gone. Forty-five seconds earlier, she had said, Surely I will go with thee. Now she's departing back to her people and to her gods. After Orpah leaves, Naomi turns to Ruth and enters stage three of trying to dissuade her by saying, in verse 15, Behold, thy sister-in-law is gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And that's all that Ruth could take. Ruth finally says, Entreat me not to leave thee. Would you quit trying to convince me to do what I don't want to do? I want to follow you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I'll die. In fact, I'll be buried there. I don't even want my bones to be air freighted back to Moab. I want them there in Israel. She was totally giving up on her former life. 
and starting all over with the God of Israel. And she calls God to record by saying, The Lord, do so to me, and more also, if aught but death, separate me and thee. Brother read this morning made an interesting comparison to me with a verse in the New Testament that I just want to share with you because I think it's interesting in light of that, what Naomi did to poor Ruth. Now, basically, what was the kingdom of God in this stage of God's dealings with men? The nation of Israel. So Ruth here wants to get into the nation of Israel, right? She wants to get into the kingdom of God. And she has this evangelist, and I use that term loosely, who tries to dissuade her three different times in three different ways. Do you know what Matthew 11 and verse 12 says? Matthew 11 and 12. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. Do you know how you get into the kingdom of heaven? By force. You may get into Billy Graham's kingdom by him forcing you. You may get into the Catholic Church by the Jesuits forcing you, or by some dear sister, and I use that term in quotation marks, at the local Catholic hospital pouring some water on your forehead two days after you were born. They're forcing you in. But when it comes to the kingdom of heaven, no one is out begging for you to be part of it. Jesus Christ is standing at no heart's door of a sinner, begging them to let him come in and be their savior. No, no apostle ever begged men to join the cause. They commanded repentance and commanded works meet for repentance. And so how did you get into the kingdom of God? By violence. By, do you see that? Do you see how Ruth had to overcome the dissuasion of Naomi three different times until finally she says, Entreat me not to leave thee. See, she took it by force. She forcefully said, Stop that. I am resolved to do it. And isn't that what we have to do sometimes? And that's what I do with some who come looking. Now, there's obvious mercy, but I want to see initiative on their part to take it by force. I don't want to force, even in the least way, by influence of my office or influence of speech to ever move someone to join this congregation without them taking it by violence. Not fizzling out, etc., etc., Ruth 1 and verse 19. Well, let's get verse 18. When she, that is Naomi, saw that she, that is Ruth, was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. And that's just what we do. When we finally see that someone surely is serious, then we leave off using any dissuasion. And we get in there and encourage them to do what they ought to do. And when Ruth saw a steadfast profession, that she wasn't going to be moved at all, by any one of her three different arguments or three different efforts to dissuade her, Naomi gave up. And so, we read in verse 19, So they too went until they came to Bethlehem. Now remember verse 1 tells us that's where Elimelech and Naomi began, coming out of Bethlehem when there was no food. And now Naomi returns. And it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them, and they said, is this Naomi? The whole city was moved saying, Is this Naomi? 
We can find in Scripture several places. I can think of a couple passages in Isaiah where God said, when I get done with Jerusalem, men are going to come by and look at it and say, is this Jerusalem? Is this the queen city? You know, in uh, Revelation, I believe, there are some that are going to look at prophetic Babylon and say, is this that great city? Because she's been destroyed. (laughs) Naomi is coming back a pauper. And everyone looks at her. She's old. She's got wrinkles. You say, how do you know that? You give me a woman who loses her husband, then loses the two sons of her two daughters-in-law. She'll have wrinkles and look like she's been worrying and have gray hair. 99 times out of 100. But that everyone in the city is moved. They remember her because she lived there for a while. She had two sons. But they look at her and say, is this Naomi? And she said unto them, call me not Naomi. Hebrew, pleasant, sweet, amiable. That had been her name, pleasant. Good things happened to her. She'd had a pleasant life, a sweet life, an amiable character and disposition. She says, call me not Naomi, call me Mara. Now, she goes on to say, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. Mara is the place where we read in the book of Numbers about a place of water being called Mara because the water there was bitter. Naomi has changed. Now, she went out, as she's going to say in the next verse, verse 21, I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? The poor woman went out with a husband, a good husband, as you're going to see, a husband who owned property, a husband who had influential relatives, a husband who had a nice pedigree. She went out with him, and she went out with two sons that husband had given her. And she came back without a husband and without two sons, but one daughter-in-law, and she, a Moabite, and she's completely broke. Land doesn't do you any good, good friends, until you can invest in fertilizer and seed. Ask any farmer, he'll tell you that the fall of the year is a good time, not the springtime. Springtime is banker time. It means borrowing money for the seed and fertilizer. This poor woman, although you're going to find that she had some land, couldn't do anything with it yet. You couldn't sell land in Israel. Except under very special cases, as we're going to get to. You couldn't sell land. You just didn't come home and stick a for sale sign on your property and sell it. Why? Because the Lord wanted to guarantee that each family kept their inheritance especially in the tribe and then within the family unit. He didn't want land swinging all over the place. He wanted a family secure and stable in one place with their family inheritance. She comes back in that kind of shape. The whole city is wonder, is this the same Naomi that left? What changes have taken place? So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabitess, I like when the Holy Spirit will stick that in to remind us of who Ruth was. Those words aren't wasted, friends. She was a Moabitess. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, which returned out of the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of barley harvest. 
Now, are those words wasted in the beginning of barley harvest? No. Don't you remember sixth grade English? You always had to have a transitional sentence between one paragraph and the next or one point in your outline the next. The Holy Spirit's moving us to what chapter 2 is going to be about. It's going to be about barley harvest. But let me say something here about Naomi. She comes back and she says, I went out full, in her opinion. I'm coming back empty, in her opinion. The Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me. What would you say if you were about to become the great-grandmother of King David and the great-great-grandmother of King Solomon and the great-grandmother of Jesus Christ? Now, she didn't know that. She said she was coming back empty. Yeah, she was coming back empty with one poor little Moabite damsel. And guess who that was? The grandmother, the great-grandmother of David the great-great-grandmother of Solomon, the soon-to-be wife of a very influential man in town, and one of the great-grandmothers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Her perspective, worthless, irrelevant. Our perspective, worthless, irrelevant. When we look at our circumstances and try to make a judgment about them, the Lord hath made all things beautiful in His time. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Brother Greg, you missed that last Sunday night, but I know you know that chapter. The Lord hath made all things beautiful in His time. She lost a husband, she lost two sons, and she only had this poor Moabite woman, but the Lord was going to use that poor Moabite woman to take care of Naomi and the poor Moabite woman and a future Savior for His people. Chapter 2. Chapter 1 was the introduction of Ruth. Notice that we're now back in Bethlehem. We started in Bethlehem in verse 1 of chapter 1. We ended in Bethlehem in in verse 22 of chapter 1. But instead of Elimelech, we have Ruth. No Malin, no Chilion. It's Naomi and it's Ruth. Two widows, one old, one younger, staying together with nothing in this world. Lodging who knows where because they had nothing of their own, as we'll see. Now, the Holy Spirit gives us a one-verse insertion here in verse 1, when he says, And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth, of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. I don't know how many of you sit down and read your Bibles wondering why God wrote it the way he did, but I do that. See, Verse 2 is going to immediately begin with Ruth doing something. Verse 1 is Holy Spirit commentary. As if, don't get discouraged, I'm going to insert clue 2. There's someone else living in Bethlehem that you ought to know about, and you can start playing mind games with yourself. You tell me what it's there for. Boaz is going to be introduced later. Why is it stuck in just like this? Maybe I'm warped. Maybe I'm looking for too much. I still have fun reading the Word of God and wondering, now why did he just stick that in right there? She hasn't met him yet. We haven't been told what's going to happen yet, but it's like a clue being given. At God's providence. 
at God's providence. Now, there just happens to be, well, you're going to see that in just a second. There just happens to be in the city of Bethlehem a kinsman of Elimelech, important information, a mighty man of wealth, important. I mean, isn't that great? The poor Moabite damsel gets married by the rich landowner. I mean, listen, Hollywood ain't got nothing. If, <laughs> if you'll read the Bible, do they? How about trying Genesis on for size when Joseph sent back word to his father Jacob that he was alive and king of Egypt? Why don't you come on down? I've told you before, I've read that. God being my witness a hundred times and every time something happens to the ducks in my eye. That is a precious story, isn't it? And the Lord has recorded some of those just to show us his handiwork. You couldn't have written a better plot than Joseph and Jacob. And this one isn't much worse than this poor Moabite woman coming back to Bethlehem. And the Holy Spirit tells us there was a kinsman of her husband, of Naomi's husband's, which happens to make him a kinsman of Ruth's former husband. And he was a wealthy man, and his name was Boaz. Now let's learn something about Ruth. And Ruth the Moabitess said unto Naomi, I'm tired, about, I'm tired of sitting around this dreary place. Why don't you get out and get a job and provide some food for us? A lot. Many would say that. Many would say that. Ruth the Moabitess said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. The first thing I want you to see about Ruth is what we often call piety. Piety, in one of its definitions, is to show respect and honor to your parents. This is the first thing I want you to notice about Ruth. The sermon tonight is simple. Ruth's character, chapter 2. I want you to see a godly and virtuous woman in one chapter. The first thing we can see about Ruth is her piety, her respect and honor for her parents. Not even her flesh and blood parents, but her mother-in-law. You know, the, the character that so many of us have used jokes relative to in the past. Her mother-in-law. She says, I will go glean in the fields. She didn't say, let us go glean in the fields. I'll go. And Naomi says, go, my daughter. Naomi didn't go with her. Ruth shows piety by asking leave of Naomi. First of all, she asks permission. Notice she just didn't disappear. And Naomi's inquiring what happened to Ruth. Ruth asked, submitting to the elder, may I go glean in the fields? And second, may I go, not let's us go. I mean, Naomi must have been capable of it or she wouldn't have been capable of traveling back from Moab. I'll go do it. I'll take care of you. How many children, now we can't think of six-year-olds when I say that, but how many of us take care of our parents the way we ought to on our own initiative? That's showing piety towards your parents. If a man does not provide for his own, he's worse than an infidel, 1 Timothy 5, 8 tells us. And Ruth shows us right off the bat, she respects the age and the position of her mother-in-law. 
and she'll go do the work for her to provide food for the two of them. The second thing I want you to see about Ruth from the same verse is her initiative. Ruth showed initiative by volunteering to help Naomi and herself by gleaning the fields. Now, most American women, if they would have been in the same situation, their first thought would have been, I I think I want to go out and cruise around the town, see what the mall's like here, and take a look at things and see if I can't get to know some of the daughters of the land. You say, well, you're making that up. Go back to Genesis chapter 34 and find out about the one daughter that Jacob had. Her name was Dinah. And when they passed through the land of Shechem, guess what sweet little Dinah wanted to do? She wanted to go out and meet with the daughters of the land. Well, guess what happened to her on her innocent little trip to meet the daughters of the land? She committed whoredom. And two of her brothers had to go wipe out a city. Where, how much initiative do young people have today to help their parents? Now we can talk about young people, children at home. Are you as a child at home, one who is obedient when they ask, but you never go show initiative to do what's expected of you without the asking? All the difference in the world between good character and average character, or good character and poor character. Listen, you can get a monkey from Africa, A monkey from Africa, and with enough training, if you tell him to do something, he'll go do it. I've even seen dogs trained to go get the newspaper when you tell them to go get it. But it takes special character of someone thinking about another to have the initiative to go and do what you can do to help out another without them even asking about it. Because what that requires is a mindset. What does that other person need? So you're thinking about the other person instead of yourself. Instead of always wanting to go play with the guys or go play with the girls or I'm going to go to the pool or I'm going to go do this or go do that, you're thinking, you know, that job needs to be done in the house. And mom's never asked me to do it or she hasn't asked me to do it in a couple of weeks, but I'm going to go do that. Or you walk in the kitchen, there's dishes on the counter because mom's had to be away all day. Let me just look around for a minute. You know what initiative is? Initiative is saying, hey, there's dirty dishes in this kitchen. Instead of saying subconsciously, mom will get the dirty dishes in the kitchen. You say, I'll get the dirty dishes in the kitchen. So you do them. That's initiative. Ruth was sitting there with Naomi. They sat down to eat. They opened the cupboard and the cupboard was bare. And Ruth said, I'll go get it. She had the initiative to think of how to do it and that she was going to go do it. This is practical. Initiative means when you see something that can be done, doing doing it. Not hoping that if I avoid it and go sneak off and play in the bedroom or play outside, mom and dad will end up doing it anyway, and I won't have to. Initiative means looking for opportunities to do something. You know, it doesn't matter whether you're a child at home or someone on the job. There's always initiative. The job descriptions that they give the average person today don't exactly fill the whole 40 hours if you're a hard worker. The man with initiative, and I have 
I'm not claiming to be some great man of initiative, but at some times I've shown some. I can remember the strange looks on men's faces when you appear before them and tell them, this job description is not enough. Give me some more responsibilities. Or even when I worked as a mason tender, carrying blocks and cement all day long to go and holler up at the mason who's up there using my mortar, listen, I'm two batches ahead of you now. I've got blocks piled six feet high on either side of you. You know, he's got to peek around to see me through the cracks. What else can I do? You know, the guy sits down and thinks about it for a minute. He's never had anyone ask because there's no initiative, hardly anymore, but initiative will get you someplace. Any of us who've uh, managed people know that. The guy who comes asking for more work, <laughs> you look, I need a workhorse. It's great to have a workhorse around, and if you're a workhorse, you're going to get rewarded for it. Did I preach enough on that in Bible economics? Initiative. Going out to do something above and beyond the call of duty, or thinking of the idea yourself rather than being told of it. Ruth didn't want to go out and check them all out. Ruth wanted to go out and do some gleaning. She could have taken the easier route by carefully considering her choices. She could have said, well, I don't want to be hasty about this. I should uh, check very carefully about the job opportunities in this city. And I am, I am making a point. Look at Proverbs chapter 14. Proverbs chapter 14, there's, there's two options a person has without a job or who in need of something like food, like Ruth and Naomi were in need of. You can go out and within 24 hours get yourself a job. There's always work available in this world, always. Wages might be low, but there's always work available. Or you can sit back and try to analyze, well, I'd really like to make such and such an hour. I remember taking that test in high school that told me that my aptitudes were in this field, so I want to limit myself to this field. But see, when you're in need, you, you don't have the luxury of going through that analysis. All you need is the initiative to get out there and get to work. And many times, once you get out there and get to work, all of a sudden it seems the Lord will give you further understanding and open further doors to provide things for you. I believe that because I believe He rewards diligence. But in Proverbs 14, 23, we have this statement by the wise man, In all labor there is profit, but the talk of the lips tendeth only to penury. You know, they could have sat down over their morning coffee and Ruth could have said, what do you think we ought to do here? Should we go to the bookstore and get a book, or should we go buy a newspaper? I'm not, I, I do not do this to be funny. I do this for you to make it practical and think about the, the different ways people approach a situation like this. One involves initiative. What can I do? I don't care what it is. I'm going to go do something and get started. Because the moment you sit back and start thinking about alternatives, you're sitting back. Do you know how much you're producing when you're sitting back? Zero. Nothing. Now, there's a place for wisdom. But when you're a Moabitess in the nation of Israel, it doesn't take much. I got a glean. <laughs> she's called a stranger. Uh, she's got a glean. But she gets out there and does it. She doesn't sit around waiting for an $8 an hour job when she had one there for minimum wage. She went and worked at Burger King.
and took minimum wage. Go take the job at minimum wage and then, then exercise your mind while you're flipping greasy burgers about other possibilities in town. But go get started. That is initiative. That is a godly woman. I've given you examples for children. I've given you examples on the job for older women. Let's have initiative, especially our young ladies. How often do you go to the kitchen hoping to find something you can do and do it? That's initiative. That separates the women from the girls. That separates good character from who cares character. That's the difference. Do you know what? Your mother would have some kind of serious arterial malfunction, either to the brain or to the coronary muscle. If she came in the kitchen and found that you had done something more significant than putting your plate away after eating the rest of the chocolate cake, if you had done something in that kitchen, we need to cultivate initiative in our young people. That's a godly woman. Ruth shows it. You know, another thing I like about her initiative, and if you're still in the book of Proverbs, turn over to chapter 20. Proverbs chapter 20. Will you think just a moment with me about Ruth? Now, she may know the Hebrew language because she had been around her husband, but she's a Moabitess, dresses differently, acts differently, isn't sure of the customs, doesn't know anyone, and yet what does she say? Naomi, I can't go out there alone and get a job. I need you to go with me. Would you please sit in the car while I go in for my interview? There's nothing wrong with that, but the initiative shows that she was not afraid of obstacles. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 4, the sluggard will not plow by reason of the fact that he doesn't know anyone. Therefore shall he beg in harvest and have nothing. Now the Holy Spirit gave us cold, but I'm telling you a sluggard will give you more, give you more reasons than five men with wisdom can give him. <laughs> You've read that verse, so I can add any number of reasons I want to to this. The sluggard will always come up with obstacles. He'll say it's too hard out there. They don't like young people. They don't like old people. They don't like women. And on and on, they'll have excuses. It's too cold. What's the other excuse? It's too hot. What's the other excuse in Proverbs? There's a lion in the streets. I'll be eaten. Now, isn't that great? You know, Ringling Brothers had a breakdown. There's a lion out there. I can't go to work. Did Ruth have some reasons that would have sounded rather acceptable? She was a Moabitess. Do you know what Israelites were to do to Moabites? Or I don't need to read Deuteronomy again to you. Utterly slay them. They were to wipe out those nations, and that would be like 1940, 1942. Some Japanese wondering if he should go out and get a job or not. <laughs> you know where they ended up in this country? Well, you, know, you remember. I'm, think about Ruth. She had excuses, but notice, she said, Naomi, stay at home. I'll go get the job. Is that initiative? I love it. Ruth, the virtuous woman, is showing us why... God and Boaz called her a virtuous woman and why the whole city knew it. One, piety to her mother-in-law. She respected authority. Two, 
she had initiative to go out and work by herself in an unknown place with obstacles against her. Yes, Proverbs 22, 13, the sluggard will say there's a lion in the streets. Ruth showed patience by choosing the boring way to provision. If you're still in the book of Proverbs, come back to chapter 13 and verse 11. Is there anyone in here this evening that's cold? Would someone please make it colder? Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 11. Wealth gotten by vanity shall be diminished, but he that gathereth by labor shall increase. Wealth gotten by vanity shall be diminished. But how do you get increase? You labor. Look at chapter 28 and verse 19. I hope you remember some of these verses under the rules of Bible economics. Proverbs 28 and verse 19. He that tilleth his land shall have plenty of bread, but he that followeth after vain persons shall have poverty enough. Now, Ruth could have gone out and tried to look for some quick way to get rich. She could have gone out and tried some multi-level marketing scheme. And there is a place for multi-level marketing schemes, and don't think I'm condemning them carte blanche. But, in general, all they do is result in lost time. When labor is what gives you increase. Sitting around listening to someone tell you how they made their million and, listening, and looking at someone bring their Cadillac out for display is not making you any money. Usually you had to pay to get there. Ruth didn't do any of that. She went after the most boring job that was available, gleaning fields. She went to flip greasy burgers. You know, what we often look down at as a as a starting job, Ruth went to do that. Because there's profit and increase in labor, not in talking about it, but in labor. Not in looking for some vain way to get rich quick, or some easy way, but in labor. And Ruth chooses a boring way. Remember the Lord said, we just read it there in Proverbs 28, he that tilleth his land. And as I've tried to explain to you, farming is the most boring occupation. I mean, it is hard work, you're in the sun, and it is boring. It's not like those of us who got to sit in air-conditioned office, offices and chit-chat, you know, with different people throughout the day. And I mean, that, we had cake jobs, let's admit it. Naomi shows her patience. What was that rule of Bible economics that would fit with this? Work patiently. Work patiently. Don't be attracted by any ideas that Increase can come easily. It comes through hard work. Let me comment briefly on gleaning. Come back to, Le to Leviticus chapter 19. Some of you may not be familiar or completely familiar with what gleaning was. It was God's welfare program. See, God, it was exactly God's welfare program. God did not believe in handouts. And wait till you see the character of Boaz to see whether he gave her a handout or not. No way. She's going to work for what she gets. Not till he decides to marry her. Then he starts handing it out, as you'll see also in chapter 3. Leviticus chapter 19. Here's God's instructions to the Israelites in their farming. 
Leviticus 19 and verse 9, And when ye reap the harvest of your land, thou shalt not wholly reap the corners of thy field. He would have loved the tractors we have nowadays that have to make their big sweeps and miss the corners. Thou shalt not wholly reap the corners of thy field, neither shalt thou gather the gleanings of thy harvest. And thou shalt not glean thy vineyard, neither shalt thou gather every grape of thy vineyard. Thou shalt leave them for the poor and stranger. I am the Lord your God. That is God's welfare program. He says, I am the Lord your God. You better do that. And there are other passages similar to that. If you were in the, in the olive trees, you didn't pick all the olives. If you're in the vineyards, you left some grapes. If you're in the fields, you left the corners. And in Deuteronomy chapter 12 or somewhere in there, it describes if you're going along and you drop a sheaf, you know, they bound up the wheat or the other corn into sheaves to carry like a bale, what we would call a bale. If you dropped one, don't go back to get it. If you drop it, leave it there. And see, the poor could come along in the field, pick the corners, pick up whatever you dropped, pick the grapes that you left, and that's how they survived. They never got a handout. They worked for what they got. Doesn't that agree with the New Testament? Has God changed? He that does not work shall not eat. It's the same God, Old Testament, New Testament. But God does provide for the poor. He just provides a place for them to work. I want to commend one of the brothers in this congregation, Brother Red Baker, who when he was painting his house, wanted to do basically what this verse teaches. He took his pickup truck downtown Greenville to where unemployed people hang out on the street and are readily available for work, right? And said that he was painting his house and he would offer a job to anyone who wanted to jump in the back at $6 an hour, $5 an hour. You didn't give him a price, but he'd promised he would take care of them financially. There they were doing nothing. He had to call for another truck? No. No takers. No takers. See, what we've cultivated in this country is handout time. You don't want to work, you get a handout. In God's system, you starve to death. Remember what it says about the sluggard? The sluggard will not plow by reason of the cold. Therefore shall he beg in harvest and receive sustenance from anyone with Christian charity. What will he do in harvest? Have Nothing. That's God's welfare program. I, th if we would do things God's way, can you imagine the utopia? Karl Marx wanted a utopia. It is described right here in this manifesto. And God wrote it years ago for the people of Israel. Notice another thing about her patience in verse 2. She says, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn... After him in whose sight I shall find grace. How do most of the unemployed that are abusing our welfare system today talk about the welfare system and about us? They talk about it being their five-letter word that I can't stand, right. What five-letter word does Ruth use relative to getting something from somebody's field? grace. 
Do you see the difference in attitude between grace and right? One thing I tried to teach you in Bible economics was when you go into your place of employment, let your boss know that the only right you think you have is to quit. Everything else is a privilege. It'll shock him. He'll have to write the business school he came out of and say, I've come up with a new one. <laughs> no one works that way. But I believe that. He owned the company. He can do whatever he wants to me. If I don't like it, there's the street. Ruth said, I'm going to go out and glean. Now, she had been taught about gleaning from Naomi, obviously. It was the law of God. Even though it was the law, did she presume? But there, there can be a gracious man. Remember the liberal souls, the one that's made fat. Here I go through the whole Bible economics again. Remember in Proverbs, where, it, where that, that one verse that says, There is that scattereth, and yet increaseth. Can you see the farmer out there who every now and then he sees the poor, the poor gleaners behind him, and he drops a sheaf? I hope that every one of us have a heart like that. If we saw people working out there to provide for their family, you know, dropping a sheaf here and there. We're going to see the character of Boaz in just a little bit. But you know what's going to happen to that man based on the authority of the Word of God? He's going to have a greater yield than the man who's inventing his tractor to get the corners. That's what God's Word teaches. The liberal soul shall be made fat. But notice that Ruth does not presume even on the law of God. She goes out hoping that a man will be gracious to her. And do you know if some of those people on welfare would talk more about grace than rights, I think even I would help them. I can't stand people talking about rights. Listen, why not talk about responsibilities Amen. and privileges instead of rights? Right. Your right is to be in hell. She showed piety. She showed initiative. She showed patience. Now look at verse 3. And the Holy Spirit throws us a new three-letter word. And she went and came. Now see, she goes, I'm just going to go out and see who I can find that might be gracious to me that I can glean some food. And we, in verse 1, we were told about this wealthy man who happened to live in Bethlehem. In verse 3, the Holy Spirit puts it together by saying, And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers. She followed them around hoping they'd drop something. And her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech. Now, how many of you believe in haps? <laughs> I don't believe in haps. The Holy Spirit puts that there as we would look at it. It happened that she ended up at this rich dude's property that was mentioned in verse 1. It just happened. And she happed on his field. That word means chance or fortune. It was her luck. It was her lot to land on his field. I don't believe there's anything called luck in this world. I believe what we studied last Sunday night in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, that God works them all. And there's a time for everything that he does. And this happened to be the time for one Ruth the Moabitess to glean in the field of one Boaz the Bethlehemite. No hap at all. There are no coincidences with God. He's ordered all circumstances. 
Look at Proverbs chapter 16. Proverbs chapter 16. What was Ruth's purpose? Ruth's purpose was, go glean and hope that I can find grace of someone. Is that what she devised in her heart? I love this verse. Friends, the God we worship is so great and so wonderful and so wise in His dealings with men, I glory in it. Proverbs 16.9 A man's heart deviseth his way, I'll go glean, but the Lord directeth his steps. Is that beautiful? I'll go glean, Naomi. I hope that I'll find some grace and that I can provide for you, but the Lord directs the steps. You just make sure you're getting out there, doing some devising. The Lord will take care of the steps. Is that, that is so precious to me. She happed on the field of Boaz. There's more that could be said about the sovereignty of God. Do you thank God for the haps that have happened to you? How about the haps of your job, the haps of your spouse? How in the world did you meet your spouse? Did God direct your steps together or not? How about the haps of the country you live in? Would you prefer China, Brother Lorne? No. Statistically, which was in your favor, China or the U.S.? China. Why do we hap here, friends? Why'd you hap to hear the gospel? Why'd you hap to be part of this congregation if it means anything to you? You want to talk about a hap? I'm looking at it. A hap. I'm looking at it. Isn't that something? We better be thankful for the haps that God directs. We may devise things in our hearts. Lord, I want the truth more than anything in this world. And he directs our steps. Bless his holy name. A wise man's going to glory in the haps of Scripture. I'm a wise man. I guess I said that for my own benefit. A wise man will glory in the haps of Scripture. Don't you like reading about Jacob, excuse me, Abraham, sending out his servant to go find a woman for Isaac. And the Lord's timing is always done to give a wise man something to jump for in his chair. While the servant is praying, Lord, I'm here at this well. The woman that comes and offers to water my camels, make her be the one. And it says, while he was yet speaking, she came. Is that a hap? (laughs) Isn't that precious? Does does that that mean anything to you? I read about a king named Ahab who disguised himself in battle. And I read about a poor Syrian who drew his bow at a venture and just shot an arrow into midair. And God had said Ahab's going to die in this battle. And Ahab had disguised himself so that he couldn't be killed to prove the prophet wrong. And that arrow happened, happed, to find its way right through his armor and kill him. I like reading that in 1 Kings and 22. How about the lot that was cast on a certain ship that was passing from Joppa to Tarshish? Remember when we read about that? How many were on board that ship? We're not told, I don't believe. 
But they cast a lot, and who did the lot land on? Jonah. Just happened that way? I read in Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 33, the lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. That is the God we deal with. I don't care if you turn up cards. God will turn up the one he wants to have turned up. If a lot, that's like our use of die or cast, the Lord disposes that. Well, Ruth happened onto the field of this rich tycoon in Bethlehem, who was of the kindred of Elimelech. Now, we're told that again. I hope you're picking up on it. Why the repetition? Because it's going to be important. Verse 4, And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, The Lord be with you. Here's something about the character of Boaz. You know, we don't go around doing that much anymore. In Bible times, it was common. You, you greeted people in the name of the Lord. Now, you can do it so much that it becomes vain use of his name. But in this case, we assume it wasn't because it was done many times in Scripture. Boaz says to his reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless thee. Then said Boaz unto his servant that was set over the reapers. Now, Boaz is the owner. The servant here is the supervisor or foreman of the operation. Whose damsel is this? He sees this stranger out here gleaning in his field. And the servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, It is the Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. And she said, this is what Ruth had said earlier in the day, I pray you, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. I like that. Did she have to ask? It was the law of God. She could have gone in there and demanded her rights. What'd she do? She came and said, I pray you, let me glean and gather after the reapers. Character of a godly woman, never claiming her rights, but asking favor of those who can grant it or not grant it. Not demanding rights, but asking favor. A very different approach. You know, Proverbs says the poor use entreaties but the rich answer roughly. And you know what a rich person is? Usually he's forward in his speech. He doesn't ask. He demands of people. But the poor use entreaties. And a, what are we to have? A meek and a quiet spirit. And meek and quiet both are used in Scripture relative to a poor, a humble attitude toward other people doing things toward us. Asking favor, asking permission to be able to do what was her right but it was not her place to demand that right. God set the responsibility. She just asks for the favor. Now, this foreman is still giving Boaz a description of this damsel. So she came, the foreman said, and hath continued even from the morning until now. Even from the morning until now. What is that called? Diligence. Ruth shows diligence. She does not eat the bread of idleness as Proverbs 31 and verse 27 describes a virtuous woman. She got there early in the morning and she worked all the way until now with no break. Until now. We're going to get to another point about Ruth in just a minute. But she worked diligently. And remember, as I just said, Proverbs 31, 27 describing the virtuous woman. 
she does not eat the bread of idleness. Remember, it was idle daughters that helped destroy the city of Sodom, according to Ezekiel chapter 16. Go read it. The daughters in Sodom had an abundance of idleness. That's what destroyed that city. And we live in a nation where there's a great deal of idleness, whether it's men or women, that we need to guard against. Ruth chapter 2 and verse 8. No, verse 7. We still have a couple things to deal with here in verse 7. She shows her diligence by continuing from morning even until Boaz came in for his report. Who knows it could have been the noon hour. In fact, let's assume it is the noon hour based on the context as you see as we read through the rest because she's shortly going to be eating with Boaz. It says that she tarried a little in the house. Now, when they went out in the field, they would construct a temporary house or a tent in which there would be water and food for them to eat a, their meals. Remember, they didn't work seven and a half hours. Remember what laborers in the field worked according to the testimony of Christ in Matthew chapter 20 from six until six. And most farmers work a lot longer than that. When you're trying to bring a harvest in, you work all the daylight hours you have. And the farmers that I know have headlights, halogen headlamps on their tractors, and they work right through the night. Because you've got to get a harvest in. Farmers don't worry about this eight to five banker's hours. They're out there working. So they had this house where they would go a couple times to get a break. You can work a lot harder if you'll take a break once in a while and have some refreshment. She's tarrying a little in the house. Now, it doesn't say she's resting. It doesn't say she's eating. It's going to tell us that she does that in just a few verses. But it says she's tarrying a little. What is she tarrying a little in the house for? I maintain that Ruth was showing some wisdom by tarrying a little in the reaper's house to be seen of Boaz. Boaz didn't come out and walk around with the gleaning handmaids. Boaz came in and talked to the foreman in the house. Remember, he's the owner. He's not out there gleaning fields. He's, he's directing things. He's going back into town to buy more supplies, you know, buy, buy oil for the tractor or whatever. And Ruth is tarrying there in the house because what's going to happen is Boaz is going to speak directly to her because she's tarrying right there. Now, notice what it says. Let me try to prove why I take that position. It's the, the, the foreman said, She hath continued even from the morning until now. She had not taken a break yet. In, in reading several commentators on Ruth to see what they said, they try to take that statement that she tarried a little in the house and put that earlier in the day. But the foreman was saying she's been working in the fields all day except for when she was tarrying in the house. That's not what the grammar of this verse says. It says that while he's talking to Boaz, she's tarrying. You know what tarrying means? To stay longer than necessary in the house. And she was a diligent woman, as we're going to see even further. But she was tarrying there for a wise reason. It doesn't say she rested. It said she tarried. Be observant in the use of the words here. Verse 8. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Now he's, he's asking her, Hear what I'm going to say to you. Go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence, 
But abide here fast, that is, stay here, by my maidens. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them. Have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? And when thou art athirst, go unto the vessels, and drink of that which the young men have drawn. Boaz is informed that this girl is the daughter-in-law of Naomi, the widow. He recognizes that fact, so now he shows her a generous spirit by telling her, you just stay with my handmaids and everything will be fine. You stay. He didn't say, back up your truck and I'll fill it full of barley. He said, stay by handmaids and reap here. You can drink of our water that the young men have drawn. And I've already spoken to the young men and they're not going to do anything to you. I've got strict rules of conduct here in the field. You understand? And he said, let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap and go after them. Verse 10. Then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? Ruth shows submission. Not her husband, not her father, but another man in a position of authority. Those were his fields. She, what does she do? She falls down on her face before him to the ground and says, Why have I found grace in thine eyes? No rights, no simple thank yous and, get, and I'll get out of here. She falls on her face and acknowledges that he had been very gracious to show her such attention, especially in light of the fact that she was a stranger. She shows her submission. She points out her lowly status in life and doesn't try to embellish her character. She doesn't try to say anything about what she was in Moab, but simply describes herself as a stranger and that not worthy of the grace that he showed. Verse 11, he responds, And Boaz answered and said unto her, It hath fully been showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband. And how thou hast left thy father and thy mother, and the land of thy nativity, and art come unto a people which thou knewest not heretofore. The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. Boaz can recognize a good woman. He says, I've been told fully. Now, Boaz knew as soon as... He was told, that's Ruth, the Moabitess. You know, the story fit together for him. Oh, that's right. That's my relative Naomi who came back. That Ruth sure has taken care of her. Look at the reputation preceding her. A virtuous woman will have a reputation that goes before her. Even someone who hasn't even been contacted directly about her. And Boaz here points out the fact that it was well known what Ruth had done for her mother-in-law since the death of her husband. When Ruth's husband died, she dedicated herself to taking care of her mother-in-law. And then he notices her religious conviction, that thou hast left the land of thy nativity and art come unto a people which thou knewest not heretofore. You didn't know anything about us, but you've given up where you were born, your land of nativity, and you've come into Israel to worship our God. The Lord recompense thy work. 
and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel. And Boaz didn't know what he was saying. When he says, the Lord give thee a full reward, he was that reward. But see, he's just blessing this woman who showed piety at home toward her mother-in-law, and he recognized that good character trait, and her religious convictions of being willing to sacrifice family, friends, whatever, for the cause of God. And he calls God to record to reward her for that faithfulness. Under whose wings thou art come to trust. I read over in Psalm 34 and verse 22, and in fact, I've had occasion to use this recently with you as a verse that I have used for myself. The Lord redeemeth, that word will become even more important, the Lord redeemeth the soul of his servants, and none of them that trust in him shall be desolate. None of them that trust in him shall be desolate. Ruth was desolate, but she put her trust in God. And here Boaz is saying, The Lord reward thee, even the God under whose wings thou hast put thy trust. And one of the things God will do for someone who puts their trust in him, he will not leave them desolate. That means alone. And Ruth wasn't left alone. Not for long. When a woman is willing to forsake all for the cause of God, that is a paramount sign of Christian character of a virtuous woman. See, Boaz notices just what Christ expects as our reasonable service, that we be willing to forsake everything. And Boaz saw that. This poor girl had come by herself to a new nation she didn't know and had left everything behind. He liked that, he commended her for it, and he called God down to reward such a diligent seeker. Verse 13, Then she said, Let me find favor in thy sight, my Lord. Let me find favor in thy sight, my Lord. Now you say, well, that word's just totally out of usage. That That word is totally out of proper decorum in the 20th century, but it gives us a picture of a different time, a time when there was respect for authority. She fell on her face flat before this guy and calls him Lord. Now, if I was Boaz, I'd be getting interested, and Boaz is. She has shown diligence. She's shown piety. She has shown submission, initiative, wisdom, and now she shows great humility by calling him Lord. Do you know what 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 6 says about women? That they do well and they follow the example of their mother Sarah who called her husband Lord, whose daughters ye are as long as ye do well. Now that doesn't mean that God expects all of you to go out of here tonight and every time you address your husband, you call him Lord. But for some, for some I wonder if that wouldn't be out of place. Could you say that to your husband? Or is your relationship something different than that? You know, to even stand here in the pulpit and say such a horrendous thing that wives ought to call their husbands Lord even gives me goosebumps thinking that someone from now is going to assassinate me. National Organization of Women. 
But God says that a good woman calls her husband Lord. See, she reverences him just like the Lord. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 33. Wives, see that she reverence your husbands. You want to look at a virtuous woman? I'm showing you one. And now we're getting to where the virtuous woman all of a sudden departs company from most women. See, being a partner in marriage isn't anything God ever dreamed up. It's being a subject of her Lord. Bathsheba, when David was in his deathbed, was still on the floor calling him Lord. A husband is to love his wife and build her up as Christ does the church. But we address him reverently, and women are to do the same to their husbands. And here is a woman who already recognizes authority to the full extent of what authority means. She's on her face, acknowledging that man as Lord, and that it was grace only on his part that would cause him to say anything good toward her. She does not ask for favor. She says in verse 13, Let me find favor in thy sight, my Lord, for that thou hast comforted me, and for that thou hast spoken friendly unto thine handmaid. When she says, Let me find favor in thy sight, see, he's already given her the favor. She's just begging of him the continued mercy that he's showing toward her. See, he already said, Stand fast by my maidens. My men aren't going to hurt you. You can drink of their water, and I'll take care of you. Let me find favor in thy sight, my Lord, for that thou hast comforted me, and for that thou hast spoken friendly unto thine handmaid, though I be not like unto one of thy handmaidens. She didn't jump up and all of a sudden assume some common rapport with him. She stayed right where she was at. I'm not like the handmaidens you have. I'm a Moabite. I'm a widow. I'm not one of those virgin handmaidens out there. She acknowledges her difference, differences and points them out to Boaz as something that doesn't deserve his attention, showing herself completely at his mercy, a virtuous woman. And Boaz said unto her in verse 14, At mealtime come thou thither, and eat of the bread, and dip thy morsel in the vinegar. And she sat beside the reapers, and he reached her parched corn, and she did eat, and was sufficed, and left. See, Boaz invites her in to eat with the rest of the crew who are being fed the meal of the workers. So she comes in and sits down beside the reapers, and he passed her. That's, he reached her. We don't say it that way anymore. He passed her parched corn, and she did eat, and was sufficed, and left. She didn't lollygag around there at the table as soon as she was done eating. How much did she eat? Sufficient for her strength, sufficed, she went back to work. And when she was risen up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, and I hope all the men in this congregation would treat the same situation the same way. Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and reproach her not, and let fall also some of the handfuls of purpose for her, and leave them, that she may glean them, and rebuke her not. He's saying, if she, if she gets a little closer to the gleans than we normally allow, I mean, to the sheaves, than we normally allow the gleaners, don't stop her. You can imagine the situation. A, 
an ambitious gleaner is going to get you know, right up to the next of the sheaves, hoping to get what's available. And the reapers are going to have to say, no, wait a minute. You're supposed to be gleaning, not reaping. And Boaz here is telling his young men, don't say a thing to her. Let her get as close as she wants and drop some of purpose. That not on purpose, like we would say, but drop some of purpose for her. So she gleaned in the field until even. Is that a full day's work? Diligent woman, wasn't she? Full day's work. And beat out that she had gleaned. Oh, I've got verses in Proverbs. The slothful man roasteth not that which he took in hunting. Do you know what the easy thing to do is? Go pick 20, 20 quarts of strawberries and get them home. I don't want to stem those berries and half of them go to waste. You've never met anyone like that, have you? Or a few of the quarts go to waste. You know, you do all the work of picking them, but you don't have the diligence to see the job through. You've read about hunters, I'm sure, who bag the deer, get the thing to their car, and get it home and take a look at it and sell it, or give it away, or bury it. Solomon knew about men like that. The slothful man roasteth not that which he took in hunting. He intended to roast it, but when you get home after one stage of the job, a lazy man likes to think the job is done when it may be the job has just really begun. Now she had to take all the barley she had picked up piece by piece in that field. Imagine that. Now she has to take that and beat it. That is, you break it up, and then you winnow it. You toss it up so that the air can blow it away under that open house. So she does that. She beats it, and what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. For your information, American measurements, that's just short of a bushel. She's got a bushel of, you know, threshed, beaten barley. Now, that would serve two women quite a while. And she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, and she brought forth and gave to her that she had reserved after she was sufficed. Not a difficult verse. She brings home and shows her mother exactly what she had gleaned. And then do you know what she does? She pulls out a doggy bag from McDonald's. When Boaz reached her the parched corn, you want to talk about a virtuous woman? This woman was sensitive to the needs of others. While she ate some of that parched corn that Boaz gave her, and the rest went in her pocket. And she came home and she, look, she brought forth and gave to her that she had reserved after she was sufficed in verse 14. She gave, what a woman, what a woman. The sensitivity thinking about that. Now, they could have had barley soup. But listen, variety is the spice of life, isn't it? And if you can get something good like parched corn, why not bring it home to Naomi? So she did. She only ate what sufficed her. She didn't eat like some of us do sometimes. She ate to suffice her and kept the rest for Naomi. Let me quickly finish chapter 2. Her mother-in-law said unto her, Where hast thou gleaned today? And where wroughtest thou? Blessed be he that did take knowledge of thee. I mean, you don't bring home a bushel of beaten out barley. Gleaning. That's obvious from the questions here that Naomi's asking. And she showed her mother-in-law with whom she had wrought and said, The man's name with whom I wrought today is Boaz. Look at the open relationship. Show her everything she did. Tell her who she did it with. Bring out the parched corn. Reveal everything. An open, honest relationship with her mother-in-law. Not hiding any secrets. She could have kept back the information about Boaz and tried to see what she could do with him on her own. She gave out everything. 
She could have kept back some of the barley herself. She could have sold some of it. She brought it all home and showed her mother. The man's name with whom I wrought today is Boaz. Now a bell rings, you know, the, the bright idea. The bell begins to ring in Naomi's mind. In verse 20, And Naomi said unto her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord, who hath not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. And Naomi said unto her, The man is near of kin unto us, one of our next kinsmen. See, Boaz had been a help to Naomi before she left for Moab. The wump. Now, God can cause you to forget some things sometimes when he wants to reveal them in his own time. There's a time to remember and there's a time to forget. That's an addition to Ecclesiastes 3. But here, Naomi all of a sudden remembers, that's the man who showed us kindness before and he hasn't left off it. Why, he showed kindness to the who? The dead. Who were dead? Elimelech, Malin, and Chilion. Sometime in the past, Boaz had also been a generous sort. Now, these are important. If you've got, you've got to start assimilating all the facts that Naomi's mind is because she's going to become super matchmaker in about five verses. But I'm telling she's got a list on both sides. Ruth has all, all these, and Boaz has these, and she's adding them up. That's right. Boaz helped Elimelech, Malin, and Chilion. That she showed favor to the dead, and she showed it now to the living. Not when they were dead. She showed it while they were alive, and now they're dead. I hope you all understand that. And Naomi said unto her, The man is near of kin unto us, one of our next kinsmen. How do you read your Bibles? I, I try to look at her face as she says that last sentence. <laughs> Come on! Can't, can't you see that woman? She's not letting it all out of the bag yet. But I can just see the wheels in high gear in her mind. Wealthy, Boaz, he's always been a kind man. Next of kin, he gave you all that. Because when we get to chapter 3, you would not believe what commentators try to do to Ruth and Naomi by making them guilty of a sin. Forget it. Forget it. The character of those two were so sterling, Naomi could recommend that Ruth do what she did. That's, I, want you to, I want you to think as we go along of all the facts that are building up that these two people had sterling reputations and character. And Ruth the Moabite said, now she picks up a little bit, he said unto me also, here's a little bit more news, <laughs> Mom, thou shalt keep fast by my young men until they have ended all my harvest. That means, you know, what you got today was typical of what you can get every day if you come back here. You know, Ruth's adding, Ruth's, I think, catching on right here a little bit. And Naomi said unto Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter. Can you, can you, can you hear it? With, it is good, my daughter, that thou go out with his maidens, that they meet thee not in any other field. What would it show? Now, Naomi's already considering jealousy. Jealousy and ungratefulness. If Ruth was to go to some other man's field... What would that be saying to Boaz? I don't appreciate your kindness and your grace. So Naomi is saying, It is good, my daughter, that thou go out with his maidens. Do what he said. Stay fast by his maidens. Don't go in any other field in case any of them, any of the other reapers or the other handmaids, 
might meet thee in some other field and then get back to Boaz, and he sees that you don't appreciate what he has offered you. So she kept fast by the maidens of Boaz to glean unto the end of barley harvest and of wheat harvest and dwelt with her mother-in-law. She didn't go off and live anywhere else. She stayed right there with her mother-in-law. She kept gleaning. No evidence that Naomi did any gleaning, but Ruth did that for her. And what we have building is the matchmaking of Naomi in chapter 3. In chapter 2, though, what have we learned? Ruth showed obedience by doing what her mother said in verse 23. Her mother said, do that. Stay fast by these maidens. Ruth did it. That's obedience. Ruth showed honesty by telling her mother everything about the day, everything she could think of. Ruth showed thoughtfulness by saving a doggy bag of parched corn for her mother-in-law. Ruth showed perseverance by working all day and then finishing the job by beating out the barley at night, not bringing it home. You know how anticlimactic it is to bring home 20 quarts of strawberries and tell your husband, here's 20 quarts of strawberries. Will you help me stem them? Oh, why didn't you buy them stemmed? You know, that, that's your first response. To finish a job and to bring home finished barley, isn't that seeing a job through? Not like the sluggard who doesn't ever eat what he takes in hunting. She shows humility by falling on her face before Boaz, calling him Lord. And any man who had heard about Abraham and Sarah was looking for such a woman. She shows her submission by acknowledging that everything she had received from him was grace and not rights. She shows her wisdom by tarrying a little at the appropriate time. She shows diligence by gleaning from morning until evening. She shows humility by asking permission to glean when it was actually the law of God, but never brought the law up. She didn't come in there quoting Bible verses to prove her point. She showed patience by choosing the boring way to provide for her and Naomi. She showed initiative by coming up with the idea and going and doing it. And she showed piety by letting her mother sit at home and do nothing relative to the gleaning. Do you know how our generation often thinks of parents? They ought to do all the work, and we ought to do nothing. It's good for us as young people. Yes, only 30. But it's good for you young people to work for your parents. They have put in years of work for you. They have taken care of you when you were neither smelled nice nor looked nice. And you know what times I am talking about. And now you can do some things for them. Ruth does that. Doesn't even mention anything about Naomi accompanying her. What do we have in Ruth chapter 2? A number of the characteristics of a godly woman, every one that can be found in Scripture, but every one that Ruth practiced, even with this man named Boaz. And now Naomi is beginning her planning that will lead us into chapter 3, but that is for another Sunday. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word to this end. We have some godly women in this congregation, like Ruth, that will try to put into practice piety, initiative, diligence, patience, submissiveness, humility, honesty, and the things that Ruth did. That's the kind of relationship our daughters ought to have with their fathers and mothers and with the rest of us.